We are in 2 Peter chapter 3 this evening. Peter has just finished warning us about false teachers and the things that will be spread by them, how to identify them, and uh, how to guard ourselves against them. So now he begins to move into uh, some further admonishments, so we'll pray and begin at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Father, we are grateful for your word, for its work in our lives, and we ask that you would minister to us this evening, that as we look at your word, you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us to understand the things that we need to, that we could live by them accomplish your work and your will in this time that we spend together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, <clears throat> Peter says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. So, not to just sort of dredge through this, but that beloved, uh, the body of Christ and how much we are to enjoy one another. You know, uh, we finish singing songs. I say, take a minute, greet one another. And then I got, you know, like wade in and separate you guys. Cause you're just like, you want to talk, you want to fellowship. That's cool. Uh, it's not that way everywhere you know, within the body of Christ. Uh, the love that we have for one another, right? Jesus said, by your love, they will know that you are my children, that you are Christians. Uh, you know, the second epistle, he goes into that discussion of the reminder, right? And uh, how he said it's by reminding and, and the necessity of reminding and how uh, that's the continual work of especially the apostles and the teachers is to constantly bring to remembrance the Scripture. And he talks a little more specifically uh, in this short chapter about that very thing, the fact that it's through the constant repetition of the Scripture that we learn something. I don't know if you've you know, had a job that's like you know, constant repetition, you know, uh, the production line, things of those nature. You know, I worked uh, right after I got out of high school at uh, Dexter Shoe. And uh, when the plant was still in Dexter and uh, there was a woman, Karen, uh, that was on the head of our line and uh, she had been there since uh, the factory opened. So she she was uh, a teen. She got a work permit. She came there. And uh, so uh, she was well versed in everything that was Dexter Shoe. She could outwork the machines literally. Uh, to a point that was like embarrassing, uh, you know, they, they would, uh, you know, put her on a line doing jobs that would take two and three people to do. And, and, and she's effortlessly cranking through this. She's doing this thing where she, she turns this gluing machine all the way up as fast as it'll go. And she's running these soles through and it's putting this glue adherence on and she's laying them down on a conveyor that's going to go through this oven and just warm that and make it tacky and she's like ripping through this thing until she's like way ahead of the conveyor belt in the machine and she would just stop and sit and like wait for it all to go by her and just tear through and like you know and and, and never miss you know there's the, the the speed was not you know something that and that was from repetition okay and, and so it is with anything that we do, you know, that the more you do it, the, the more well-versed in it you are. Scripture memorization, uh, you know, the way and the necessity and the need to read these passages over and over again. I say it mockingly. I've run into many people in talking about the word of God, the importance and necessity. They'll say, they'll say mockingly, oh, the Bible. Yeah, I read that. You know, like what, like it was, you know, The Hobbit or something, you know what I'm saying? Just, you know, like I read that, you know, it's just, this is, this is living and active. 
is sharper than any two-edged sword, you know, capable of divide, dividing between uh, the, the, the soul, you know, the, the intent of our heart, the thoughts and the intents of our heart. Uh, it's going to constantly teach us. You know, how many times have you opened the book up and read a passage that you've read a thousand times and thought, my goodness, I've never seen it that way before? You know, th this needs to be a constant repetition. This is not a novel. This is not a book written by men. This is, this is a living document that God produced for us to learn from and live by. So that pure mind, that, that living, that constant reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of the apostles uh, of the Lord and Savior. So, uh, the, the prophets and the apostles who were appointed by the Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. So this um, teaching is going to be from those two elements prominently. So if you think about that, you have the Old Testament teachers ordained and sent by God, gifted for their purpose and their work, and then you have the New Testament teachers. And, and if you're sitting there thinking like, yeah, of course, like, well, there are those that now claim that they're the apostles of God, right? Uh, you know, uh, you, you go through uh, the history of the American church, and you, you've got uh, this whole movement that begins in a, a self-imposed revival. And I do mean self-imposed. It wasn't of the Holy Spirit. It was just they decided it was time, so they declare it. And then from that, by the mid-70s, rolling into the 80s, you've got the Kansas City prophets who are now saying God has reinstituted the authoritative positions listed in the Scripture. Apostles, prophets, evangelists. And they're of the mindset that these offices are the same as what they were in the Scripture. So, you know, if they say this guy is a prophet, they're saying equal to Elijah. They're saying equal to Isaiah. And you're supposed to have a reverence for them. Well, I might if they were accurate. Right? But then they say things that don't come true. They predict things and they teach things contrary to the Scripture. So why am I listening? You know, oh, this man is an apostle. Hey, 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 wait a minute. Right? We go to the back of the book, there's Revelation, and the apostles' names are engraved upon the foundation of the holy city. What? We got guys out there now chiseling their own names in? What, what is going on? They literally teach this, that if these men produce, say, print something, when you get it, like you should add it to your Bible. Their writings, their teachings are as authoritative as the apostles written here. No, false, wrong, okay? Uh, here, uh, Peter is saying uh, who you should listen to. And by the end of this, he even speaks more specifically to that subject, and I'll talk about that. But right here, he's saying the things that you should be concentrated on are the teachers from the Old Testament, which are already approved. Well, which ones are approved? Well, it's really quite simple. The apostles teach from them, and so don't Jesus. Okay, uh, There are old writings, ancient books, that they don't quote from. And, and so we have no need to sit around and examine, like, which ones should I follow? They, they've already shown us which ones are approved. Okay? So, so you know, you, you want to read the Apocrypha? You want to read the extended books? Uh, you know, that are associated with the Scripture, those have good qualities to them, and they're helpful to you. Book of Maccabees, you know, one or two, the, the Maccabean Wars, the history of Israel, the books of wisdom written by Solomon, wonderful. Please read those, but understand they're not Bible. So, so what we're reading here, uh, Peter is telling us, this is what we need to concentrate on. So the commandments from the apostles and of the Lord and Savior. Now, here's the thing, right? You get to the book of Acts, Acts 2.42. It says, they continued steadfastly, unbroken, in the apostles' doctrine, in the breaking of bread, in prayer, and in fellowship. So the, the Lord added to them daily those that were being saved. 
So there's your church growth method right there. Without break, without pause, without leaving off, right? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Well, what's the apostles' doctrine? The things that they are teaching, mostly about the Old Testament, right? Uh, There's a problem with leaving the Old Testament out. Listen, If, if you read the New Testament and you're concentrated on that, and that's your focus, great. But you're missing a substantial portion of what is contained in the Scripture. The Old Testament is necessary and significant. Right? Paul uh, says, uh, I, I am not guilty of any man's blood because I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. Oh, honestly, uh, he's, he's considering less the New Testament, right? Because they're in the process of developing that and writing that. What is the New Testament that they're writing? That's more than anything the expositional teaching of the Old Testament. Okay? So he's, he's declaring the reason I'm not guilty is because I've taught you the whole Bible. That's pretty remarkable. Okay? You know, you get into subjects like we're going to tonight about like the rapture and people today are like, oh, we don't want to get into that. That's all crazy. There's so many different opinions about that. People get all mixed up. Paul, right, with the church at Thessalonica for three weeks, three weeks, writes back to them and says, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially he says, you're very well versed in the return of the Lord. He's only been there with them for three weeks. And he's taught them something that's as complex as the rapture. You know, you got teachers today within Christianity that are like, no, we need to avoid that subject. Let's, let's not talk about that at all. You know, we'll just talk about the basic principles of Christian living. Yeah, well, if you don't think that Jesus Christ could come back any minute, then that might alter your Christian living, right? So it's pretty necessary. So here, he says, I'm teaching you these things. Uh, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Oh, man, I, I just had a big discussion with someone recently who's in a prominent ministry, and they're saying, we don't deal with the rapture at all. We teach that Jesus is coming back, but that's it. We don't, we don't deal with any timeline at all. So we just, if people ask, we say, yes, that's going to happen, and then we run away from the subject is basically what he's saying. I find that difficult. I find that very difficult you know, as, as a pastor, as a teacher of God's word. So this issue of his coming, right? So, so look at what's said again. The scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? So the, the rapture of the church, without question, is taught specifically in 1 Thessalonians. You can't get away from it there. The argument comes up, people say, well, nowhere in the Bible does it even use the word rapture. Okay, <clears throat> well, okay, I, I get smug. You know, I probably shouldn't, but I say, well, true, but nowhere in the Bible is the word Bible used either. And yet no one takes offense to that. Okay, well, There are terms within Christianity that we use, which are another world heard from. I'm, I'm sure everything's okay. We've armed Lori with a tranquilizer gun and, you know, a net. So she'll, she'll survive. <clears throat> she's, she's well-versed. So uh, here's the point. Um, where were we? Oh, Bible, right. So... Um, the, the term rapture, not in the Bible, people say. Well, uh, Paul says, 1 Thessalonians, right? I don't want you to be ignorant. The Lord himself will descend from heaven, you know, shout voice of an archangel, trump of God, and uh, the, the uh, church will be caught up is the term used. Caught up. The word is uh, uh, translated raptus, uh, then Translated into English, it's rapture. 
Okay, so, so, so the word that is translated by the church as rapture is in the scripture. Uh, so, so this teaching that the Lord is going to descend and catch the, the church off from the earth is in the Bible, and it cannot be denied. Anyone who tries to deny it is wholesale denying the word of God. Well, well here then is the question of when. When is the rapture? Right? The argument comes uh, uh, of is it before the tribulation? Right? And that's coming up a lot right now, right? As we're seeing all of these things develop. I don't know if, if you guys have uh, been paying attention to Shanghai, China. So <clears throat> they've, they've had an outbreak of COVID uh, again. And uh, so they are forcibly quarantining uh, people uh, and, and everyone, 25 million people in Shanghai. They are forcibly quarantining all of them, right? If they're found to be COVID positive, then they are taken to a concentration camp immediately. Watching video footage of a maybe six-year-old child all robed in protective clothing uh, being escorted out alone. Imagine, parents, your five-, six-year-old child being taken away from you and escorted out into a van to be taken to a concentration camp where they have to live alone without you, right? You're going to quarantine my kid like that? Take me, right? I'll go also. <clears throat> no joke. You go online and, and watch the videos. I'm going to horrify you with this, right? They're taking so many people out of this that there are thousands of pets that are left unaccompanied. They have video footage of a government worker just beating a dog to death on the street. They have video footage of mesh bags filled with 10, 20 cats just piled up. They're all trying to get out of the bag. Hundreds of bags lining the street sides. This is what China is doing, okay? And you think, like, it must be horrible. I mean, it's wrenching to hear this stuff. It's worse. <clears throat> that evening, right, they've, they, have, they have boarded up, welded, closed, and the, even cinder-blocked up exits inside uh, the city. Everyone's trapped inside their high-rise. No food, no water, living inside. This guy's standing on his balcony with his cell phone, and he's just filming. He's locked in his apartment, and he's just filming. And you're looking out across like 45 high-rises, and all the people are on their balconies just screaming for help. It looks like an image of hell, you guys. It's, 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 it's unnerving what's going on in the world. And now, now here's the thing. 25 million people outbreak of COVID, right? Six deaths. Six deaths due to COVID. This is the lockdown they've put in place. But that's a communist nation, right, that controls whatever they say they're going to control. People are working their ways out and shimmying down and rioting in the streets. 25 million people. It's the biggest city in China. Philadelphia just declared quarantine. Everybody's going to wear masks again, right? <clears throat> because they've had an outbreak of the same version. <clears throat> Our pastor's conference is about to happen there. We don't know if uh, we're going to be able to go there without wearing masks. You know, hotels, restaurants, all that. We're, we're back to this because they've had a massive outbreak also, you know, two deaths. No exaggeration. Two deaths. Yes, they've had an outbreak of positive tests, right? The number of people being hospitalized, incredibly low. The number of people dying, right? And, and everybody, you know, everybody, both the deaths had comorbidity, right? They already had pneumonia. They already had cancer. They were already incredibly sick, right? We know how dangerous this is. We're not making light of it, right, Gary? 
We, we know how serious it is. But at the same time, all that's happening with this is a seizure of controls. That's what's going on. Take over is what they're doing. Remove freedom. Imprison people. Politically, you know, legally, make changes and get their hands on the wheel. Take away freedom. We're in the end times right now. Most significantly, you can guarantee they're going to try and close the churches again. Guarantee, right? So we've said already, you've got a mass exodus from church. For every one church that is opening, three are closing. You, you know, It's a broad spectrum, and I know it's inaccurate to say entirely there are various demographics, but people are leaving the faith and no longer reading their Bibles at 25%. One quarter of those who were Christians three years ago, three years ago, are now saying they are not. They are saying they do not read their Bibles. Don't, don't have any use for it. Saying that all faiths are as legitimate as Christianity. Tell me, tell me, that this impact on the church from COVID and the restrictions put in place have not had this direct effect. We are living in the end times. There is a mass exodus from our faith, from Christianity, right? So, so scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? So is it going to happen at the beginning of the tribulation? Is it going to happen at the middle of the tribulation? Is it going to happen at the end of the tribulation? Right? And then everybody wants to argue about it. And if you dare say it's going to happen at the beginning before all of this breaks loose, people will say to you, well, you're arrogant. Okay, well, follow this. Follow this logic. Okay? It, it's, it's really quite simple. We're going to see right within this passage that... Uh, the day of the Lord is going to come upon us as a thief in the night, unexpectedly, right? Well, the only way that can happen is if the Lord comes before these things begin. Because Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 says, of the Antichrist, he shall confirm a covenant agreement with many in Israel for one week, one seven-year period of time. Right. But in the middle of the week, that seven year period of time, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering sacrifice and offering simply stated the temple is going to have to be reinstituted in order for there to be sacrifice and offerings being made. OK, so we got to have a temple back and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out. On the desolate. So a lot there, but the simplicity of it is there's a seven-year period of time where the Antichrist makes an agreement allowing the nation of Israel to rebuild their temple and to offer sacrifices and offerings to the Lord in that temple. At the three-and-a-half-year mark, halfway through that seven years, he's going to break that agreement and we get more details that he's actually going to emerge in the temple and demand to be worshipped as God, personally. Okay? So, so here's the deal. Let's say, as some imply, that the tribulation, we know is going to be that seven-year period it's spoken of here, starts in a subtle way and we don't notice it. Okay? That the Antichrist political leader is sort of somewhere obscure in the background and we don't notice his rising to power. I disagree that that's possible. But let's say that that's how it's going to transpire. Well, you're going to come to a point where you realize, hey, somebody let Israel rebuild their temple. Well, you can just track backwards to where was that agreement signed? Bing, that's the start of the seven-year period right there. You now know there's only seven years left. And you now know at the three-and-a-half-year mark, that agreement is going to be broken. So if Jesus is coming back midway point, 
then you can figure out when that's going to occur because you can figure out when the tribulation began. Because the agreement was signed, the temple was built, offerings and sacrifices started being made at the temple. You just mark your calendar and boom, that's the halfway mark. And if that day comes and goes and Jesus Christ hasn't returned, then you know that it's going to happen at the end, seven years. So this whole idea of it sneaking up on you and appearing suddenly in a way you weren't expecting can only happen if it happens prior to the beginning of all these things. So, so leaders within the church teaching, no, we're going through it, is not correct. I don't say that with any question in my heart, my mind, or my teaching. I'm saying to you definitively, the thing we are called to do is be constantly on the ready for Jesus Christ's return. That's what he taught. It's what all the apostles taught. I, I shy away from using the early church fathers. That's, that's a Roman Catholic terminology. I say the early church leaders, okay? So it, one and the same, uh, just for your own you know, definition and way of thinking. The early church leaders taught that if you did not preach the pre-tribulation eminent return of Jesus Christ, you were a heretic and didn't belong to the church. So, so this idea that people are putting forward now, like, oh, that's a relatively new teaching within Christianity. You know, that's what Darby came up with, and you know, Timothy LaHaye and others have just perpetuated that. They're just doing that for book sales. Yeah, I'm doing it for book sales. I'll tell you that right now, straight up. The Bible, to study the Word of God and know these things for yourself is what every single one of us needs to be doing. So, verse 4. Where is the promise of this coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So that this is universalism, right? That, that everything's just, it's, all, it's always been this way. It's always gone on this way. Listen, I hope the past few years have shown you things are rapidly changing. This is not how it's always been. Th things are. Right? Falling apart in front of our eyes. And, and that's that law of entropy, deterioration, isn't just a physical one. Spiritual deterioration, the whole nine yards, is what we are experiencing. What we are seeing in front of our eyes is a very, very serious thing that's going on. For this, they willfully forget. They willfully forget, right? Uh, take the time, make your mark there, right you know, next to it, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and following. Go back and remember the judgment of the Lord that's coming upon planet Earth from Romans chapter 1 and how the invisible attributes of God are revealed in nature and they are willfully ignorant. They, they choose to not retain the knowledge of God, even though his attributes can clearly be seen in creation itself. They don't want to hang on to these things. They don't want to believe these things. They are willfully forgetting these things, right? The term we often use of ignorant, we've redefined that, right? Ignorant in the modern definition is, oh, that poor soul doesn't know. Right, uh, the root word of the word ignorant is ignore. Ignorant, right? That which can be known is easily attainable, and they have not paid attention to it, right? If the sign says fifty-five miles an hour and you're doing a hundred fifty-five miles an hour, you have been ignorant. You have ignored the law. You have ignored the posted speed limit. You are ignorant of what is easily known. Right? The things of the Scripture, the things of God, uh, they don't retain them. They don't keep them. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Um, that is to say, the very things that God warned them were going to destroy them were right in front of them. Right? He created the world, 
You know, the earth was in the water and standing out of the water, and they were warned, the water's going to kill you. And they said, not going to happen. And it happened. What are we being told is going to destroy this earth in the future? Fire. No. People say, I'm not possible. Don't believe it. Can't. Have you seen the film footage of the atomic weaponry <laughs> and the fire that can be produced when you just unlock an atom and let its energy disperse everywhere? Right? Uh, we're going to get to the end of this, and, and he's going to say the earth is going to be melted with a fervent heat. There was a time where that was mocked. There was a time where the philosophers and the Christians and the, even the pastors mocked the concept that that could ever happen. I mean, you guys understand that when they detonated the first nuclear bomb, they didn't know if that was going to stop. They did not know if that was going to stop. They understood the principle of let's smash this atom and it will smash all of the others in chain reaction and hopefully through the resistance of the atomic structure, it will encapsulate it, slow it, and bring it to a halt. But we don't really know. Because theoretically, atoms should just continue to smash atoms. So just three, two, one, smash. That's, that's how that went. Everything was theory, and they just pulled the trigger. Right? <clears throat> we often say, this will seem weird, we often say Frankenstein, right? But it, it was Dr. Frankenstein was the monster, Dr. Frankenstein's monster. He was never referred to as Frankenstein, right? The whole of that book wasn't intended to present a horror novel or a theory. What it was supposed to incite in your mind is that medicine is constantly, actively engaged in the process of saying, can we do this without ever asking the question, should we do this? That was the whole of the story. Science and humanity and man have constantly been engaged in this process of going, yeah, I don't know, well, let's try it. And then we get to live with the consequences. And live with the consequences. And live with the consequences. Such serious problems. Yeah, I would agree, Gary. COVID. Yes. Can we do this? And look what we have to live with. Look at the consequences that come. So the destruction right in front of their eyes. Water. <laughs> and God said, I'm going to flood the whole planet. And they went, yeah, right. And then it happened. It happened. God is telling us, forewarning us by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Now, if you struggle with that concept, I don't suspect many of us in this room do, but without question, well, if you struggle with it, let me recommend to you Dr. Henry Morris. Okay, uh, So he had dual PhDs in hydrology, the study of water. Why anybody would want to get two doctorates, I can't ever imagine let alone two doctorates on the same subject. But anyway, so, you know, hydrology, water, the study of water. Uh, he formulated that without question, the entire world was at one time underwater. That, that, there's, that's not a debatable issue. Okay, uh, there, there is fossilized record. Uh, we often say fish, but really um, the, the thing that we find fossilized at every level of our planet, all over the planet, are clams. Yeah, clams, mollusk, you know, oyster, all over the world. That's the most common. So, you know, just to sidetrack into that discussion for everybody that wants to talk about the geological column as though the simple uh, life forms are at the very bottom, and if you move up through, they become more and more complex. That's an absolute lie. Geological column in that order doesn't exist anywhere. And what nobody wants to discuss is the fact that there are clams and mollusks through all of the layers, unchanged. Why do we find clams at the very top that are identical to the clams that are at the very bottom? Shouldn't they have changed? Shouldn't they have evolved to become something else? At least they should have gotten four feet rather than that one stupid one. But anyway, 
you know, the, the point being the whole earth was flooded by water. The whole earth. No one can argue that. If they do argue that, then they are being ignorant. Because the, the record is there. The heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So this whole thing is destined to burn. Now, we'll talk about that a little more, but I want to just point this out, okay? <clears throat> we, as Christians, are children of God. The rest of the world is not, as much as Oprah Winfrey tells you we're all children of God. We're not, okay? Scripture is very clear that those who have not been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit are, in fact, children of the devil, interestingly enough, right? Some of us proved that more than others, but anyway. We who have been born again, are children of God. His Spirit residing in us. That makes us children of the Creator. So as believers, we should be the greatest conservators of this planet. We should be the most concerned about the health of this planet. Okay? Uh, you know, I... I'm not saying like you need to somehow do better than uh, you know the the earth worshipers. Okay, I'm, I'm not implying that because the hypocrisy that's involved with that is really pretty astounding. Okay, um, you know the Prius, solar panels, and wind turbines are three of the greatest pollution elements on planet Earth. Their manufacturing process produces astonishing levels of pollution and their disposal process produces even more. Okay, Wind turbines are so massive and so large. I've worked on them when I was building towers years ago that when they break down and they don't work anymore, the most common process is to disassemble them on site and bury whatever you can right there. Massive pollution on site. Take the turbine down with a crane that's you know filled with toxic chemicals and just set it on a concrete pedestal right there and let it decay. We are polluting the world with these things far more than we are preserving the world. One of the greatest pollution projects ever created by the United States government was the production of ethanol. Okay? So in your gasoline, we're going to stop using all of this petroleum. We're going to use ethanol. We're going to take corn, and we're going to make ethanol out of it. We're going to put it in your gas, and you're going to not have to have all this stuff. Well, what they don't tell you is it takes a massive amount of pollution to clear the land in order to plant the corn that you're going to get. And then the process by which you ferment and produce the ethanol is even more toxic in order to produce that. So in the end, the pollutant that is created in that makes the offset such that we're producing almost 20% more, more pollution than if we had just Use the petroleum. All of these things, men's infinite wisdom that we have to follow. Politicians and their wisdom and the way it cripples us and cripples our economy and does so much damage. We, as Christians, should be the most concerned about taking care of God's creation. And you know what the most important element of God's creation is? Human beings. Right? 5.6 million abortions a year while we save the whales. Save the children, man. Oklahoma this week, you see that? Outlawed abortion. Wholesale. Done. Yeah, it'll go through court. Sure. But they passed the bill and the governor signed it. Outlawed abortion. The only time it's allowed is that they go through the process of proving that the mother's life is under threat. And they've, they've got to prove that legally before they allow it. And who knows if they'll even get to enact it because the legal opposition is already on the way. 
But the point is, their lawmakers forged the law, passed it, and their governor signed it. That's a beautiful thing right there. That's a beautiful thing. Preserving life, preserving God's creation. So all of this is reserved under threat of violence by fire to destroy and bring God's judgment. Now, important verse 8. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Important subject. Okay? It speaks of the timelessness of God, surely, right? That he doesn't measure according to man's standards at all. And Peter immediately launches into that. But there is also the concept of the literal understanding that a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. Okay, so so if we take God's economy of time described here, and we understand, right, he creates for six days and then he rests on the seventh day. So the seventh day is for rest. If we take what the Bible says literally, and we begin at Adam, and we go through the genealogies of how long each generation lived, then we go 6,000 years from Adam to where we stand today. Now, I'd love to have a long discussion and debate with us all about evolution and millions of years, but I'll just put this in the discussion as quickly as I can. The sun burns off 120 million tons of mass a second. So, the sun is losing about 5 inches of diameter every single year. It's so far away, and it's so huge that it's not something that is easily seen at all. Okay, But it is shrinking. It would have to, right? I mean, you can't keep your foot on the accelerator like that and not have the tank run out of gas. It's burning off its mass every single year. So here's the deal. If you were to add back one year, we would be able to say, well, the sun is right now this big. If you add back one year, then a year ago the sun would have been this big. And if you add back another year, the sun would have been this big. If you add back 100 years, the sun would have been this big. If you add back 1,000 years, you know how big the sun would have been. If you add back 1 million years, not a billion, right? Because according to the evolutionists, there's 56 million years between dinosaur and man. But if you add back, right, when I was in school, it was 3 billion years old, according to the scientists. And then, you know, uh, when my kids started school, it was Noah's 9 billion years old. And now they're saying it's 12 billion years old. So apparently somebody's, you know, still trying to figure that all out. Point being, if you add back 120 million tons of mass a second for 1 million years, the diameter of the sun would reach out past Uranus. This solar system doesn't exist. Would have been way too big, way too hot one million years ago. So that makes it that all of the evolution that they're proposing has happened would have had to have happened in a much shorter period of time. Which is completely impossible for all of the changes that they say have occurred. And add to that there are no transitionary fossils. They say lizards became birds, but we don't have any lizard birds anywhere in the fossil record where a lizard was halfway between being a lizard and a bird. None. Zero. There are no transitionary fossils. That's why they always refer to them as the missing link, because they don't have them. They don't exist. Evolution, completely false. Mythological imagination of Charles Darwin. For the singular purpose, if you read the book, of proving that white people are superior to all of other races. That's what he was trying to prove. He was a profound racist. And he wrote the book in order to prove that white people were superior to all other races. Nobody wants to talk about that. right? Origin of the species. you know, To distinguish the superiority of the races was the original title. 
So change that so nobody has to listen to the fact that he's a racist. Okay, so so here, a thousand years but a day, Bible says six thousand years. A thousand years is but a day, according to God's economy of time. How many days have passed? Six days. Six thousand years, according to the genealogies of the Bible. So what is the seventh day? Day of rest. How long is Jesus Christ going to rule the planet? A thousand years. We're on the cusp of entering the day of rest according to God's economy of time. Right? These things are not hard to find in the Scripture, right? This is not because I'm a genius. Boy, that will. He's really studied his Bible. I've studied the other guys who've studied the Bible. We can all study these things. We can all learn these things. We can all find these things. They are clearly exposed for us. So, here's another concept, right? Hosea, chapter 6, verse 2. You might want to jot that down right there next to 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 8, somewhere. Hosea, chapter 6, verse 2. Nation of Israel. Hosea is speaking for the nation of Israel. And he says, after two days, he will revive us. Okay, according to... God's economy that I just read you in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, a thousand years is but a day, and a day is but a thousand years. How many thousand years is that? Two thousand years. How long has it been since Jesus Christ was here? Two thousand years, right? Two days. Hosea, speaking on behalf of Israel, after two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we might live in his sight. Man, that's cool, huh? These things are awesome when you begin to study them. Ah, no need to study prophecy, right? That would just make people crazy. <laughs> this is the stuff we need to know. This is the stuff that causes, right? You drag your knuckles through the door on a Wednesday night. You sit down, stuff your face in the book, and when you walk out the door, your heart is elated with what lies ahead of you. This is why we need to do this. This is why the church needs to gather together in order that we be strengthened, right? What did Paul say in regard to the rapture of the church? Encourage one another with this until the Lord's coming. We need to be encouraged with this. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise of his coming, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not, winning, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He wants everyone to be saved. Oh, you listen to some of our brothers and sisters who are hardcore Calvinists, and they want to insist, no, God wanted some people to go to hell. They teach this. You know, that's why he made them. You know, he made the elect to get saved and the non-elect to go to hell. That's what he intended. Not according to this. He doesn't want anyone to perish. That's the character of God. He wants to save everyone. He's not going to. Why? Because he gave us free will. You get to choose. Some people insist at this point, why couldn't God have just made us all robots? Why couldn't he just make us love him? Well, that's not really love, is it? Right? If I want you to love me, but you somehow don't like me, if I put a gun to your head and say you'll like me now, that's not love, is it? Right? That's force. That's not God's character. He doesn't function that way. The illustration, the old illustration used to be, if you're stranded on a desert island, with a very attractive person, and you've been there for a long time, and they finally come to you and say, I've fallen in love with you. Let's get married. And you perform a little ceremony, and you live as husband and wife. You're never going to be able to truly trust that love until the rescue ship arrives. Because now they have another choice other than you. If God creates Adam and Eve, and they don't have any other choice then it's not really love. So he puts the choice in place for them and says, don't eat of that tree. 
people want to say, oh, there was something magical, something mystical, something poisonous about the tree. No, no. In its title, we hear exactly what it was, right? It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had never experienced evil. And the minute they chose to go against God's will, they now knew evil. That's all it was. Could have been anything. Could have been a tree covered with clothespins, for all we know. You know what I'm saying? People say it was an apple. Who cares what it was? It was the choice of following God's will or disobeying God's will. And guess what? It's the same choice today, isn't it? Who you obey, that is your master, whether it be sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. It needs to be obedience. It needs to be what we are following. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He says at the beginning of verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. We've already talked about that a little bit, but I want to remind you of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Speaking of believers, Paul says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. We can see. We can read the word of God and we can look outside our door and go, hey, it's happening right now. We're living in the end times. This is what Jesus Christ told us about. It doesn't have to sneak up on us. Unfortunately, I think there's a great number who call themselves Christians who it is going to sneak up on now. That's a horrible thought. Verse 10 Again, the whole thing, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. According to Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, it says, In Jesus all things consist. Literal translation, they are held together. In Jesus all things are held together. You probably have had an occasion, maybe when you were younger, to play with magnets and you try to force those like-charged ends together north to north and it gets all slippery and you can't make them stick, right? Because like-charged particles repel one another. The center of an atom is like-charged particles. Scientists still cannot explain why it stays together. It should be flying apart. And as I described earlier, You know how bad things get when atoms fly apart. It's such a mystery that scientists have developed an extremely complex term for it. They refer to it as atomic glue. (laughs) They don't understand it. Why do these like-charged particles stay together? Well, according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, in Jesus, all things are held together. So it isn't even a matter of he's going to finally get mad enough to where he's just going to rip it all apart. It's that he's going to finally come to a point where he no longer holds it together. Right? Just let it go. Uh, you maybe have experienced this in your own life where you push against God and you resist God and you try to run away from God and he's trying to box you in. Right? He's sending people, he's sending messages, he's trying to contain you and he finally goes, okay. And your life flies apart. Horrible things collapse, and you just and you're left standing around going, "What? Why all of this bad stuff?" <laughs> well, look, if you don't want to stay under his hand, if you don't want to stay inside his protection, you don't want to stay where he's keeping you. He'll he'll let you out, and you you then have to experience everything that comes with that submission. Right? He said, "Abide in me." Stay. And that's where the life is, in the abiding in Christ. Back in Second Peter chapter 3, looking at verse 11, Therefore, since all things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Oh, that sounds like a threat. It is. <laughs> Stay in Him. Abide. Remain. Looking for and 
hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. That's so interesting. The heavens will be dissolved. Uh, You've perhaps seen some of the film footage from Hiroshima, Nagasaki, World War II, and they refer to that fallout, the ash that's falling from the sky. Most of what fallout is, is the sky that has burned. Because it's atoms, it's atomic structure. As the energy rips through the atmosphere, it burns it to ash, and then it just falls out of the sky. The elements themselves, even the air being dissolved with a fervent heat. How could the scripture have known these things? Long before we began to tinker with them and discover them for ourselves. Looking for hastening the coming of the day of the Lord because the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire. The heavens will be on fire. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, We, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I've had arguments with people who profess to be Christians about how the earth is not going to be destroyed. It's eternal. It was created by God. Well, I just read it was going to be destroyed. But how about a couple other places, right? Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. How about Revelation 21, verse 1? Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there were no more seas. That's a new creation than the one we're presently living in. Interesting concept. So we'll move into the end here. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. Looking forward to these things. Right? You look forward to Christmas. You look forward to your birthday. You look forward to vacation. Do you look forward to the elements burning with a fervent heat? I do. Because you've got to go through the horrible things to get to the beautiful things. Right? You've got to go through this to get to God's promises. Do I want the world to experience this judgment? No, I don't. Neither does God. But it's going to happen. Right, we we need to look forward. Look forward to these things. Be diligent to be found by Him in peace. Look, that's the summary of what your faith should be doing for you. If you do not have peace, right? If you don't live in peace, right? You're going to have troubles at times, but you should be able to settle your heart in Christ. If you can characterize your life as chaos as no peace, as difficulty, then I would say to you, you need to continue to strive toward Christ until you find his peace, because that's his intention for you. Christ wants you to find peace, even in turmoil, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The comfort that comes from our shepherd leading us to where we belong. And this is what good shepherds do who imitate him, who lead flocks of believers. They teach them and lead them and point them toward peace. That's the goal. That's the job. That's what we're striving for. That's that's one of the key ways I know false teachers. When I walk in and I listen, and this dude's got me all messed up. I'm dissatisfied. I'm disgruntled. I'm upset. I'm worried. I just, should be peacefulness that's coming, right? You'd be found by him in peace without spot and blemish, right? No birth defect, no scar, illness, or injury. Uh, well, we were all born as defects. And we've all been scarred and damaged and sick. So how do we be found without spot or blemish? Because Christ is. And we are washed in his blood. We are cleansed from all of those things. You were born way messed up. Cards stacked against you. Christ washes all of that away. It's a beautiful thing. 
that he does on our behalf. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Right? So very often, you know, we tend toward judgment. I don't know how long I can put up with this guy. I don't know how long I can put up with this. I don't know how long I can. Well, thank goodness it's not up to you. Right? Just patience, his long-suffering. I tell you what, I enjoy God's long-suffering. Right? What if he'd only been half as patient with me as he's been? <laughs> I wouldn't be here right now, would I? Right? Because half the distance back, I would have been done. He's continuously patient, kind, gracious. Consider the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. This is a very significant passage in all of the Bible. As also in all of his epistles, speaking of them, in them, of things, in which are some things hard to understand. Well, I had to read that three or four times to understand it. You know, Thanks for being so complex, Peter when you referred to the complexity of Paul. But anyway, so here, which untaught and unstable people, I don't ever want to be referred to as untaught or unstable. Okay, I want to be thought of as taught and stable, wise and understanding. So, untaught, unstable people twist to their own destructions, the writings of Paul. Peter is now telling you, that unstable and untaught people twist the writings of Paul to their own destruction, as they do also, notice this, the rest of the Scripture. Peter just made Paul's writings Scripture. There are large groups of people that wonder whether Paul's writings are Scripture. They argue about whether Paul's writings are Scripture. You know, you watch the Discovery Channel, you can watch whole programs on why Paul's writings are not Scripture. You know, that they were only relevant for that time and that day, and they don't have anything to do with today, and we shouldn't listen to it. Paul didn't know what he was talking about. Probably wasn't even an apostle. According to Peter, he is an apostle. And his writings are Scripture. That's very significant. Now, I'm just going to stir the pot. Ready? Because Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Well, that'll ruffle some feathers really quick, won't it? Right? Right now, I've got to tread lightly, even in this room, carefully. Well, here's the thing, you guys. Let's take this concept first. If we look into the Scripture and we all take a vote right here on that one verse, is that relevant today? Paul wrote that so long ago, so please don't raise your hand. You know, all in favor of approving this verse, raise your eye. All in favor of denouncing this verse, nay. You know, say, okay, so let's get rid of that verse. So now we chuck that verse out. Well, Peter just told us that that verse is Scripture. So we just took a verse out of the scripture and threw it away. So we have to consider that the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament prophets said, if you take away from the word of God, your name will be taken away from the book of life. No, thank you. If you add to the word of God, the curses found in the word of God will be added to you. I don't want either one of those things happening. Okay, not only for me, for you. Okay, now, now before we even address that issue of men, men and women in the church and authority and all that, let's do another thing with this verse. And go back to Genesis, where Lucifer comes to Eve. And what does Lucifer say to her? Has God said? you shall not eat of the tree. But the real question is, has God said? Right there, when we read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, the question is, did God say that? 
or did Paul say that? The minute you start asking of any verse in the Bible, did God say that? Whose voice are you listening to? Do we not know that the Scripture tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed? If it is, then we need to wrestle with 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12 and find out what it means and find out why it belongs there. The reason that it belongs there is because God wants men to be loving and gracious like Jesus Christ. To be providers and protectors in the church and in their homes. So that women don't have to enter into those struggles. Men are supposed to be protectors and providers. Which means we would never read that verse and then use it in some manipulative way against you. That kindness and graciousness and love would fill our hearts like it did Jesus Christ. right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We, as men, should lead the church in loving, understanding, graciousness. Paul is simply saying here in regard to women's roles in the church that they shouldn't have authority over the men in the church or teach the men in the church. It's as simple as that. They can teach in the church and they can have authority in the church, just not over the men of the church. Doesn't say anything about the home. Doesn't say anything about the business realm. Doesn't say anything about government. God allows for women to be in business. Allows for them to own their own business. Allows for them to have their own money, their own finances, and even have roles in government. In the home and in the church, men should lead as examples of Jesus Christ. As soon as they depart from that, you don't have to listen to that guy anymore. Seriously, it's what the scripture says. If they're not functioning that way, ladies, you're not called to be in submission to that. The more that they want to climb up on their throne and insist, everyone has to obey me, that's the more we should walk out the door. It's not what Christ has called us to. In particular, Peter is told by Jesus to not lord his authority as a pastor, as a shepherd, over those that he leads, but he should instead lead them by example. So I say again, it's significant, it's important as far as living in peace that we follow the teachings of the Scripture, even when they're difficult. Close it out with verse 17. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. The continuous, steadfast, unbroken growth and maturity that needs to come to us. That should be your goal. Upward climb. No stagnation. No plateau. Constant, continuous grace, growing in grace, this knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does this make sense to us this evening? Amen. All right. Let's uh, stand and we'll pray together.